0: But social media is a commitment, not a campaign, right? And you know, businesses looked at social media the exact same way. You know, oh, you know, we have a launch. Let's include social media. Um, and it was this very campaign based approach, which over the last decade obviously has changed to more of a, a commitment approach. And I think it's the exact same with influencers.
1: I got to tell you, Adam, I couldn't agree more with our guest this week, Neil Schaefer, who is the author of a terrific new book, "The Age of Influence." This idea that if you're going to work with influencers, and more and more people in the social pros community are doing so, it, this isn't a short fix, right? This isn't a "Hey, we're doing a thing, and so let's let's work with somebody for for 20 minutes." Like, this, there's a long-term play here.
2: I'm going to be so bold, Jay, and say I think this is the biggest mistake that people doing influencer marketing make, and they see it as a flight pillar campaign. I mean, they wanna you know, wrap it up with a little bow, say, okay, we're gonna do this for two months, we're gonna pay this influencer for two months, and, and that's it. And that, as, as Neil so eloquently uh, puts, that's not the way to, uh, to do this. It's just like a relationship, and just like you want to have a long-term relationship with your customer, you too need to have a long-term relationship with those influencers and those other people that are sharing your message and sharing similar messages with, with your customers.
1: Absolutely. You're going to learn a lot about influencer marketing in this episode of Social Pros from Neil Schaefer, the author of The Age of Influence. Also, listeners, we have 10 copies of the book to give away to you. All you've got to do is review the Social Pros podcast, honestly, please. Anywhere that you can review a podcast, send me an email, j jay at jaybear.com. Let me know that you did so. I will send you a book ASAP. P. Before we hear from Neil, who also has a little surprise at the end of the podcast that you want to stay tuned for, I want to recognize our sponsors this week. Our friends at Salesforce. I want you to get a chance uh, to download this guide, Einstein's Guide to AI Use Cases. So, one of the things that is true about artificial intelligence, which we've talked about here on the show uh, with increasing frequency, is is that you've got to have a great use case, right? Like it's it's AI used for something right as opposed to just ai in general and so salesforce uh, and Adam and his team have created this really interesting, I, I love this execution. If nothing else, just go see how they did it. It's slick. It's a three-question quiz, three questions that help you find your perfect AI use case in your organization. If you go to bit.ly slash Salesforce AI, you can check it out for yourself. Won't cost you a thing other than a couple of minutes. You're going to like it very much. Go to bit.ly slash Salesforce AI. That's all lowercase, friends. Uh, in order to make that happen. Also, the podcast this week brought to you by our good friends at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. What a terrific platform for advertising and marketing LinkedIn is, especially because they can do things that nobody else can do. They can allow you to target by things like job title, uh, by company name, by job title and location. Like a lot of things you can't do in any other platform you can do in LinkedIn. We love it. It's so flexible. It's so powerful. Decision makers are there. We're putting more and more content on LinkedIn ourselves. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our episode of Social Pros with AJ Wilcox, who is the leader in LinkedIn advertising tactics, you should do that as well. But our friends at LinkedIn have actually given us free money, free money to give to you, the Social Pros community. Here's how it works. Go to linkedin.com. You probably already know that domain name, linkedin.com slash social pros, linkedin.com slash social pros. You're going to get 100 free American dollars in ad credit. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks so much to our friends from LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And also thanks to this week's special guest in the program, Neil Schaefer, for his awesome book, The Age of Influence. Here he comes. You won the only Neil Schaefer. Welcome back to Social Pros and congratulations on the spectacular new book. We touched on it just a little bit last time you were on the show. It was in production then. It is called The Age of Influence and a terrific book. I absolutely recommend it to each and every Social Pros listener. I know that influencer marketing is probably part of your job, uh, Social Pros fans, or at least contemplated to be part of your job. And you need to get yourself a copy of The Age of Influence from our guest neil schaefer it is spectacular how do you feel man having the book out there and and uh and you know talking influence
0: joe after you say so many good things about it, I f- i'm feeling pretty freaking awesome right now <laughs> <laughs> show's Blacked over <laughs> Good night, everyone uh but yeah, no, it feels it was a long time coming, um, that book. And and it really was a good, uh, I, I won't say experiment, but a good test of can you write content knowing that it's not going to be published for another year or two, that it's still going to be relevant, still going to be evergreen and, and still going to really uh, be full of core concepts that won't change with the passing of time. So, so far, uh, nobody's called me out, which is a great thing. So, yeah, it feels good to get it out there. And, you know, it's weird. We were just talking before we started the podcast about COVID and how it's affected our business. But you know, this book published March 17th. We go on lockdown here in California March 19th. And it's really given me the time to double down on, on relationships virtually, right? Uh, and as well as just the content and the things that I should be doing to, to best, you know, promote my baby. My baby's out there in the world. I gotta give her a good chance to, you know, to, to keep walking as long as she can. So uh it's it it's been a really, really good time and positive feedback. And I'm just happy to contribute to uh, you know. Uh, social pros understanding of of the different marketing options that are out there. And influencer marketing is something that is more on the fringe. It's not sort of a core marketing activity, uh, but I'm making the case that it really should be more of a core activity for every organization.
1: I couldn't agree more. When you say The Age of Influence, which is the title of the book, after all, what do you
0: mean by that? Well, the original book title was called The Business of Influence, and this is something the publisher thought The Age of Influence might be a better sell. So I went with them. Uh, But either way, it's really looking at uh, the fact that we are in an era where we always, and Jay, we've been talking about this for the last decade, this whole democratization of, of content consumption, of content creation, and what have you. And really, the democratization of media influence, I think, has really been accelerated with younger generations flocking to platforms where the major media, major brands just aren't doing well. Uh, these are primarily visual platforms like, you know, beginning with Snapchat, Instagram, obviously more recently TikTok. And for, you know, we could say the same about YouTube. I was with a client yesterday in the hair color industry. We were looking at all the top results and there's no L'Oreal. There's no Revlon. It's all YouTubers. It's all influencers. So, um, you know, we we truly are in, in this age now where you know organic social media was supposed to be this promise of viral word of mouth marketing i mean you know this from social triggers it just it just doesn't happen on its own you need to you need to create that trigger to incite word of mouth and there are many ways to do that but obviously working with other users is a great way to do that so it's you know the age of influence is a culmination of a few of these trends But it's a wake-up call saying, you know, organic social media is a necessity for any organization. It builds trust, credibility, social proof, what have you. But at the end of the day, that inciting a word-of-mouth marketing in social media, that was the promise to all of us social pros, is just not gonna happen on its own anymore. And why wouldn't you wanna collaborate with all these other people out there and really see social media not as a one-way forum for advertising, but as this amazing forum of collaboration to collaborate with so many different types of people that can really push your business objectives forward.
1: How, how do you define influence, Neil? When, when people think, "All right, we need to get ourselves some influencers so we can have some more influence," what does that actually mean to you?
0: Let's round up them influencers. <laughs> right. So you know, influence is, and I really redefine digital influence, and and you know, anybody that first of all, I think in order to have digital influence, you need to be a content creator. And when you you think about it, when we look at influencers, they are creating content, they are publishing content, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog post, whether it's a YouTube video, the photo on Instagram. And this brings up the second point, which is that influence is not just on any single social network. And in fact, it's not just any single content medium, right? It's all across all these mediums, all the social networks, which is why it's relevant for, for any business. But then we get into the sort of gray area. So are you saying that I have... You know i have 10 followers that i have influence well everybody influences somebody right if you have a follower that is consuming your content you're influencing them but from a business perspective at what point do we want to say that this person has enough influence that we may want to work together. And in the traditional influencer marketing industry, which is very Instagram-centric, by the way, and it's a cause for a lot of the miseducation I feel there is in, in in marketing, is they look at, you know, you have celebrity, macro influencer, micro influence, and they put labels according to number of followers. But the interesting thing is, most recently we have the nano influencer, which has as few as a thousand followers. So now we we look around and say, okay. You know, if we look around at, at people that have a thousand followers and we find people that are talking about subjects that are important to the audience that we want to reach, and they seem to have engagement, they seem to know their stuff, there seems to be passion in in, in the community, uh, that person obviously has some influence. And I think it really comes down to if you were going to natively publish something, how much engagement would you get? And then look at the type of engagement that even influencers with very, very small numbers of followers get And do the comparison because algorithms work in their favor as well which helps so there's no line there's no line that says you are an influencer you're not an influencer i think from a business perspective if you're going to collaborate with someone you want to have they want to have some you know amount of influence and maybe a thousand followers is 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 a good sort of minimum you could go even further but you know when we start looking at influencers not just as community leaders but as content creators We see another way of working with them. So maybe they only have 500 followers, but man, the content they create, if only only we could hire them to be a content creator, well, guess what? You can, right? So there's the content amplification side, but there's also the content creation side. And guess what? There's also sort of that feedback side right? How is your product doing out there in the world? That that focus group side, another way of using it. And then we get into the whole other argument, Jay, that, you know, I want to look at influencers not in terms of number of followers, but in terms of amount of brand affinity, right? We begin to look at your employees, your customers, your partners, your followers, people that have Gone out of the way to mention your brand in social media. So th- that is the way I prefer to look at it. And if you look at it that way, that cutoff isn't really as important. They might have 750 followers, but they are the biggest fans. They're always talking about you. Those are the people that you really want to collaborate with. So let's stop defining my number of followers. Let's define by brand affinity, understanding there's different amounts of influence. But at the end of the day, those engagements mean nothing if they're not talking about your brand. So inevitably, Jay, I know you you have a lot of experience with this at Convincing verb. Conver- But when you start this program, you know, I won't say influencers are competing with each other, but you have five different influencers all saying the same thing. They're all going to get vastly different results as if they're different like Facebook ad units. Right. So at the end of the day, that's going to determine, you know, how much influence someone has. But, you know, in in a nutshell, that's how I would define it and and really describe it for those social pros that really want to tap into it today.
2: Neil, it is so great to have you back on the show. And this topic of, of influence and influencer marketing is, is near and dear to my heart. And I want to take it in a little bit different way. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I think when I think of influencer marketing, I think when most people think of influencer marketing, they kind of go to the example that you gave of, of of hair coloring experts on on YouTube, a very uh, kind of B2C Type of of construct. And we know without a doubt, it works in that area. I believe it also is so important and critical in B2B type of marketing. And I know a lot of our listeners kind of live in that world. And I think the nano-influencer, when you have fewer influencers, is so important here. So I want to kind of ask you a question kind of with two thoughts. Number one, what do you think about influencer marketing as it relates to B2B, I'm starting to see, at least at Salesforce, a lot of our B2B customers who are interested in account-based marketing, ABM, and things like that. And so much of that has to do with kind of identifying those influencers. And then secondly, because of, of COVID and things like that, so many B2B customers aren't having trade shows and conventions and conferences. They rely on those influencers even more. So how do those two things really kind of fit into the age of influence and
0: kind of your idea and ideals of influencer marketing? Yeah, great question. So, you know, my background before social media is B2B and B2B is all about, obviously, you have big organizations. The buying decision is not one person uh, always looking for information. And when I was in B2B sales, it was really about who are the people, in, who are the influencers inside the organization and who are the influencers in the ecosystem that can influence these people, right? So, I think that concept of influence has always been around, uh, even before social media has been around in, in, in B2B. And with B2B influencer marketing, it's something that has always been around. We haven't mentioned it in those words, but when you're inviting, you know, a star speaker to your event in hopes that they promote your event or talk about your event on social media, that is a form of influencer marketing. When you're inviting an influencer to a webinar or on a guest interview or a podcast interview, that is a form of influencer marketing for, for B2B. So I think when you look at it that way, it's something that has always been around. And, you know, Jay and I recently did a webinar on this. It's, it, it's you know, maybe even more important for B2B because of the notion of, of trust of uh, many people within the organization need to be convinced and they look for information and, you know, whose information are they going to find? Uh, oftentimes it might not be yours. It might be that of other people. Um, and there's also just limited information out there, so if you're in a if you're in a niche industry, and I, way more in B2B than B2C. That the, the haircutter analogy is great because there's tons of YouTubers talking about that, but you know ABM uh, ABM for you know some niche B2B industry, you're not going to find many people talking about that, right? And if you're obviously selling ABM services, you'll want to reach out to those people because they already have that audience. So yes, it is it is as relevant as important, if not more important for B2B. And with coronavirus, yes, I mean lead generation generation generation, right? How does that happen? You know, there's only so much your brand can do and inevitably what happens is, well, if we don't have enough leads, we're just going to do more paid and paid at the end of the day is an advertisement. So it is just sending a very, very different message. Whereas when you work with other people in the industry that talk about you, and obviously we're seeing a lot more of because the physical events can't drive the lead generation, or maybe can't drive those other marketing objectives of bringing in influencers for virtual events especially virtual summits virtual webinars to try to really get that lead generation going and leveraging them because basically everybody everybody that already knows you knows about you right it's reaching out to those people that don't know about you or maybe people on the sideline that are on you know in your marketing automation not converting but maybe that event with uh, you know someone in the industry that they respect maybe that helps push them over the finish line
2: such an important part of of influencer marketing is identifying that influencer. Who is that person going to be? And certainly what you do with that person is absolutely critical. But the the discovering of that person, the weighing and evaluating is is so important. What, What tips or advice would you give someone? And what mistakes do you see people making when they maybe go on YouTube or they go on Twitter and they see who has the most followers, who talks about a particular topic, and then boom go right there that that's not the way to uh, to pick an influencer correct
0: yeah the analogy there is sort of like i'm in seo and i'm in social media marketing i'm just going to target the social media marketing keyword because it's it's the most strategic right it's also the most competitive uh it's also going to take the most work it's going to require the most money in terms of influencer marketing and what we also find with influence is very interesting is that as someone has more influence generally the things that they talk about tend to be a little bit more broader and the audience tends to be a little bit less niche, which is why Micro influencers, nano influencers are very attractive because they usually niche down enough where they can't build that big, as big of a following, uh, but yet they're really uh, niche down on a subject that they have a, built a community around that are really engaged on that particular subject. So it goes beyond obviously just number of followers. You know, another classic example is you do a keyword search, which you should do on any given social network. You find someone and then boom, awesome, let's reach out. But they maybe tweeted or maybe post one blog post about that subject, but they're really not about that. You know, of all their content, maybe they talk about it 1% of the time, whereas 99% of the time they're talking about something else that their community is 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 engaging with. So there's always that potential misalignment when you find someone that has talked about something that's important, but it may not be a central part of their community. Um, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be building a list and while there are tools that can help you, every tool uses their own unique algorithm, which may or may not be relevant for what you wanna do. So really it is a time consuming process, uh, but I really uh, do believe that the best results are gonna be. Um, and, and you know, there, there are tools that are better than others that we could talk about, but really you know, just to get the lay of the land is to do those keyword searches. At the end of the day, if influencers are content creators, you're gonna find them, right? They're publishing content, blog, YouTube, podcast, across the social networks, find people who are, who are talking uh, very frequently about those subjects, find people who are getting a lot of engagement around those subjects, there's some, some resonance uh, with their community, uh, find people that have really, that are really relevant when it comes to that keyword. And you begin to find people naturally. And probably you already know this, right? You you already sense that there's some people out there, but really that's the the process, you know, find 20, 50, a hundred, a few hundred. Um, ideally, because it, after that, it's going to come down to a sale because not everyone's going to convert. Not, not everybody wants to work with you for whatever reason. So I, I think that's really the beginning of the process and 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 the mistake is trying to find a tool for a shortcut that, you know, I know the savvy social pros aren't doing this, but uh, newbie marketers are looking for those shortcuts. And unfortunately, shortcuts can be very dangerous. They lead you down irrelevant roads, working with irrelevant people and spending money for irrelevant re- results, right? And that's, I think, something you want to avoid. So I always, you know, I'm a big fan of MarTech, big fan of, of technology and tools, but this is truly the case where you you want to do it without using tools to begin with and then find a tool that's going to help you replicate that process and help make things more efficient.
1: Neil, once you've identified influencers, what's your advice on what do you ask them to do? Is it is it make us some content? Is it um, please say these exact words in this exact sequence? One of the things that I've observed, and you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, is that sometimes brands and businesses who are newer to influencer marketing want to essentially treat an influencer like a paid ad like like I want you to say this exact thing um as as if it is an ad unit but it's actually a human being who is also a content creator and so can you talk a little bit about the the notion of kind of co-creation and cooperative content and sort of how that might be a superior model
0: Yeah so you know I think that even before that a lot of brands that are new to this just they just don't know what to say right? They just, what do we say? So in my book, I think I have some sample text. It's, you know, having an open-ended conversation to start things Is a way to start if you have nothing else to say but you know the open-ended may lead you down roads where you may not want to go so i think you know even before you're reaching out you need to have a strategy in place you need to have objectives in place what are you trying to achieve with these people so i think you're going to be more effective if you say these are the things that we're looking to collaborate on and in b2b especially they are going to be content-centric we have you know a blog where we do interviews we have a podcast. We have, you know, we do a series of virtual webinars or virtual events. These sorts of very, very specific things make it very, very easy for the content creator. Uh, and what the content creator is worried about is, you know, man, this is going to sound like an investment of time. What's going to be the What? How much time do I need to invest? And what's going to be the ROI of that? And I think if you make that very, very clear up front it's going to lead to uh, more more people actually responding to begin with because it wasn't so general, uh, and I think uh, more success. I mean, I, I do believe you should leave it open. I do believe giving, having specific objectives with specific activities that you can do with influencers based on these sort of content-centric things that I talk about is, is great. Having a few of that options really leaves it up to the influencer to say, you know what, um, I'd love to do podcasts. You know? Because at the end of the day, That influencer also has their own objectives. Maybe they just launched a new podcast and they'd love to be featured on your show so that they can mention their own podcast, right? It's these little things that we don't know what that content creator is thinking until we begin to engage with them. And by holding, you know, I'm not going to say dangling, but by offering up these few ways in which you can collaborate, you have a better chance of, of finding what that is early and then finding a way to collaborate.
2: Neil Schaefer, author of *The Age of Intelligence*. Uh, Neil, you're also president of PDCA Social. Age of
1: influence, but also the but
2: also intelligent.
0: The age influence of influence. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. One of the things I think you do on the agency side is is work with with companies and organizations who are trying to figure all this out. And as I look at influencer marketing, I I look at an an average marketing communications organization and I go, yeah, there are a couple people in that organization that could own this relationship, that could leverage influencer marketing and work with the creator, work with the influencer. But where do you recommend that kind of homeroom or live in an organization? Should it be the social media practitioner that is recommending and managing and stewarding Uh, that influencer? Or should it be over in public relations or marketing? Or does this take a village? And do you need to bring all these parts of the organization together in terms of crafting the messages, working with the influencer, compensating the influencer, and all
0: those types of evaluative aspects? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, At the end of the day, it's obviously it's going to fit into one of these. And I see someone that is going to engage with influencers is is part PR because it's a one-to-one. Uh, exercise in human relationships and it's sort of an extension if, if we're engaging with influencers because of the democratization of media influence then influences are the new media and therefore does require that public relations approach but on the other hand you want to have those specific marketing objectives because you can. Uh, we're not dealing with the New York Times here. Uh, we're dealing with people that can also definitely help push our objectives forward uh, and we can influence how they do that, whereas we, we're we not going to be able to convince the New York Times editorial board to write about our, our company in one way or another, uh, although public relations pros out there will probably disagree with me. But obviously, there's a lot more flexibility when you work with influencers. Um, but on the other hand, you know, th- community managers are very experienced with working with social media users and being able to communicate with them and navigate and, and, you know, and pass that information on or or make sure that they get responded to what have you. So it's really a combination we do see. And it's funny because I see this more in B2B organizations that sort of influencer relations, uh, you know, director, VP, manager, that is a title that we see more and more these days. And I think, Um, Having a a specific person that can really focus on that is a great thing. But for those organizations that can't, I I really do believe it's going to take that village approach, uh, this collaboration. And like everything else in social media, it's required a lot more collaboration between departments. This is just one more example of that.
2: Neil, last question before I hand it back over to to Jay, and and that revolves kind of around the COVID situation that we're in right now. Have you seen any brands that are using or leveraging influencer marketing differently now because of COVID, or would you have any recommendations or suggestions on what that relationship can and can't or should and shouldn't do in the situation that we're in today?
0: You know, COVID has hit different industries differently. So I know of influencer marketing companies where they've had to, you know, lay off staff. Um, And I think that what we're finding with COVID is that we all have to pivot. Businesses have to pivot and influencers also have to pivot. So... There have been a lot of different ways of uh, obviously uh, leveraging influencers during COVID. I, I think we've seen less of it, um, but there's obviously great ways of doing it, uh, you know, doing wh- whatever you've been doing, because at the end of the day, probably influencers are also uh, feeling a little bit of pain because of lack of income, uh, like everybody else. So it's actually a really opportune time to reach out to them, see how you might be able to work with them. It's it's sort of the supply demand a situation where we had 3% unemployment a few weeks ago. Now we're at 15%. I'm not going to go that far with influencers, but it is a very, very attractive time if you have marketing budget to reach out to them. And I think that it you know the different marketing objectives we have now with COVID, I think a lot of marketing as it should be is really shifting to customer education, uh, customer engagement. You can't communicate with your customers in person you have to do it all digitally and really you know leveraging influencers to help with with the humanization of that help with the different perspective of that, not necessarily for the amplifying of your content outwards, but really better spreading your message inwards is another brilliant way that uh, I'd like to see more brands use influencers for. But COVID, I don't think changes the you know the landscape for influencer marketing. I think it actually accelerates it because we got to do more digitally, uh, and therefore all these trends that I talked about that push for the growth of influencer marketing only continue that trend. But there's a lot of different ways. Like I said, it comes down to the to, to your marketing objectives, to that collaboration and. Any any way you've been pivoting your marketing for today, there's probably a way that you can leverage influencer collaborations to, to help push that forward.
1: Neil, can you talk a little bit about this notion that that the best influencer programs mm-hmm. are ongoing? I, I see so many brands who start with influencer marketing thinking of it more like a campaign, more of like a short-term, we got to sell this thing or talk about this thing, and so Let's find some influencers to pump up this thing for two, three, four weeks. Uh, and, and you can do that for sure. But it just seems so short-sighted that you're better off trying to find some true advocates and saying, well, let's 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 hang out together for as long as
0: possible. Right. And, you know, Jay, it's interesting because we both have a lot of historical perspective here. And with historical perspective comes sort of wisdom. And I, I look at this like the, the, the emergence of social media marketing 10 years ago. I think it was Joseph Jaffe was the first person I saw, and many people have said it since then, but social media is a commitment, not a campaign, right? And you know, businesses looked at social media the exact same way. You know, oh, you know, we have a launch, let's include social media. Um, and it was this very campaign-based approach, which over the last decade obviously has changed to more of a, a commitment approach. And I think it's the exact same with influencers, is at the beginning, it's, oh, you know, we need to get some extra juice on this event or on this launch, let's... Let's, you know, hire some influencers to help get the word out. And really all those benefits that we talk about of obviously, you know, getting your brand talked about and, you know, inciting word of mouth, uh, the potential co- content co-creation benefits, uh, even that sort of, you know, user focus group of, Hey, how are we doing out there? What do you see our competitors doing? What what does your community say about us when you talk about us? All those things you're not going to get if it is a one-time thing, because Every influencer is a human being and those in the B2B space especially know this. I mean, it takes time to develop those relationships, right? Uh, I worked in in industries where the sales cycle was, you know, 18 to 24 months, very long term. So if we think about it that way, in order for us to influence influencers, it's going to take time. And at the end of the day, wouldn't it be great if all these people that we consider influencers, if they were all brand advocates, if they were. And what I mean by that is they talk about our brand or a business without us having to ask them to do that. So I think that is the the end goal should be to convert everybody that you work with into becoming a brand advocate. And that only comes with time. But with that time passing, you get more benefits out of the relationship. Hopefully they do as well. And there's going to come a time when they will talk about you without your asking. And that really is the ultimate. And when they do that, you know, uh, time in and time out, you really begin to reap those benefits. It's not going to happen overnight, and that's why the this you know short term, one time approach really, you know, in many ways hurts companies because they miss out that the opportunity cost of doing that is really painful to see because they miss out on so many of those potential benefits.
2: Neil, one of the aspects of influencer marketing that I love is that it it fits into what I call surround sound. This idea that you you have these these messages slightly different but consistent coming from a variety of different sources, of different channels, different different platforms. So my question specifically around influencer marketing is this: If you had you know hundred thousand dollars, let's say, to to spend on influencer marketing, is it better? To to have one influencer who you're, you're you're controlling who has a larger swath of of influence and and, and followers, or should you consider multiple influencers? And I, and I think this this question is raised after your your response uh, to the to the idea that this is not a campaign, like 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 Mr. Jaffe says, but this is this is ongoing. One influencer, two influencers,
0: What what is your thoughts on that? That's, yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think there's gonna be any single answer. There's definitely efficiency when you work with one influencer, but there's also that risk that you're putting all your eggs in one basket, right? And I'm a big fan, you know, the whole concept of my company PDCA Social is this PDCA circle or dummy circle plan, do, check, act. It's really, all of this is an experiment and we never know how someone performs or how an ad performs, or how content performs until we get it out there and we do A-B testing. So when you only work with one influencer, you lack the ability to do the A-B test. Could you do better working with a group of influencers or not? I don't know, but you're never going to know until you work with more influencers. So in general, I would say you want to work with multiple influencers and inevitably it's going to be the 80-20 rule that 20% of those people in the program will probably generate 80% of the results. And if you want to you know, pare down and work with fewer people then because it becomes more predictable and you're getting the results that you, you want to get, that's great. But when you just start with one, I do believe that although it may seem like it performs well, you just never know. Now, obviously, that also depends on who that one person is. If there's only one influencer in your industry and they are a, a Goliath that everybody listens to, obviously, this is going to be very, very different. But in general, that would be my advice of working with multiple. How many you work with, you know, like I said at the beginning, when you work with one person, you have efficiency. When you work with a lot of people, it begins to get a little bit less efficient. So I think at the beginning, even though you may want to identify dozens, if not a few hundred uh, people, you're probably not going to work with that many at the beginning. So I I recommend starting small, working with maybe just a few or a dozen so that you also get, as a social pro, experienced In the process know what to look for so that in the next iteration you do a little bit better in terms of identifying in terms of collaborating in terms of outcomes and you're constantly optimizing this like you would a facebook ad or a linkedin ad uh, and get hopefully getting better and better results while you're deepening relationships with those influencers that perform the best and also leaving space for new influencers to come in That, that i believe in in from my perspective is an ideal scenario
1: I love that idea of constantly optimizing and working with a group over time, but then leaving room for new influencers to emerge because they will. I mean, everybody, you know, creates influence. You know, you've got new creators coming online every second, so you know, it's not a static group of people that you might work with. Don't forget, as I mentioned at the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, I've got ten copies of Neil's book, *The Age of Influence*, to give away. All you got to do is leave a review of the Social Pros Podcast, anywhere that you could review a podcast, just send me an email, j at jbear.com, J-A-Y-B-A-E-R.com. Let me know where you posted it. We'll send you a book ASAP. We wanna get a copy of the book in your hands, or you could buy a copy of the book as well, and that would be a good idea. Hey, Neil, before we ask you the two questions that you know we're gonna ask you, because we've asked all of our guests on the podcast, including you and your previous appearances, I wanna ask you about Pinterest because I know that even now, Pinterest is one of the largest drivers of traffic to your own website. And I want you to talk about that strategy and and kind of how that came to be and kind of what kind of content you post there.
0: Great question, thank you. Uh, Pinterest is the social network that we never talk about. And in fact, once you really dig deeper into it, even Pinterest themselves say that Pinterest is not a social network. It is a discovery engine or, for lack of a better words, a search engine. So my journey on Pinterest started a long time ago, You know, maybe 10 years ago. And when I started, like any other social network, I wanted to find a purpose for actually using it, a utilitarian purpose that would get me started in it. And when I started speaking after I had those thoughts, I realized that you know, at the end of my speaking, uh, you know, time, I'd say, okay, and if you want to leverage all the sources of information that I talked about during this presentation, just go to this Pinterest board because all the sources are bookmarked there. So it's a bookmarking site, right? It helps you remember things. And as I was getting more and more, you know, involved in experimenting with it, I noticed, especially early on, that it was this generator of traffic. And as I was thinking, you know, I'm a male and this is an 80 to 90% female network, but the people that are on Pinterest, You know, it's funny because behind every B2C are people that work at B2Bs, right? So within the Pinterest user base, you have VPs of marketing, uh, you you have business owners, you have entrepreneurs, you have the same sorts of people that would consume my information on other social networks. So with that in mind, there was no stigma for me. Publishing that sort of content on Pinterest, especially as I saw it getting more and more traffic back to my website. So, you know, Pinterest for me has been a very, very long term play because if it's a discovery engine, it takes a long time to get indexed and it takes a long time to really get some uh, traffic going. But the lifetime of a pin J is extremely long. I still get traffic from pins, and a lot of uh, very savvy Pinterest users will say the same thing. They still get traffic from pins that came from five years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. It's pretty incredible because you have a user base. Just like on Twitter, people click on Twitter, right? You may not click as much on Facebook and you can't click on Instagram. And and I don't know how many people are swiping up these days, but Pinterest is meant for seeing information, saving it to a board, right? So you have, there was one study that said 80% of pins are repins, right and and then obviously at some point you are going somewhere that's the whole idea of Pinterest is it is a placeholder for you to click on to go somewhere that's why it was naturally born to generate traffic so really for any social pro listening um, it, it you know Pinterest is an extremely rational network you want to get you, you know the word out about what you do about your content it's people on Pinterest are looking for solutions to their problems so if you have a solution if you have I mean primarily blog posts, um, but if you have a solution to the pro- problem, it is a unique visual format that is obviously, you know, similar to sort of like an Instagram story. It's it, it's vertical, not horizontal in terms of the image. And one mistake that a lot of companies make. Um, and the image should be really, really clear as to how you are helping them find a solution because that, that's what they're looking for visually. Uh, it, it's, you know, there, there's an SEO aspect of having different boards and making sure that when you pin something to a board that the content is relevant. You have, you know, your description, your title, what have you. But really, Pinterest is a long-term play. So it's a process. It's a process of when you create content, of creating it for Pinterest as well. Uh, it, it's really going into making sure that your content is, is refreshed on Pinterest regularly. Um, and there is this also engagement factor. The interesting thing is Pinterest, people don't expect comments and engagement on Pinterest other than repins. But there are uh, you know two things. One is called Pinterest group boards which are not as popular as they used to be. But the other one is something called Tailwind Tribe. So Tailwind is the leading tool for Pinterest. It's the one that I use and I recommend everybody use. And they have so many active Pinterest users using their tool that they've created their own basic internal social networks for pinners that want to share each other's content. So these tribes and you know they're in I have my own tribe called, you know, blogging and social media marketing pros. But these tribes, the whole idea is that people also want to curate content. They don't want to just talk about themselves. So they're they're curating content as part of the process. Well, if you're gonna curate content, I talk about this with influencer marketing as well. Why wouldn't you wanna curate the content of other content creators that you might be able to build a relationship with that can also help you know, curate your content. So that's another really powerful way of using Pinterest is to collaborate with those people. But you know, it's not, it's a pretty simple process. And there's no guarantees, but it's really just this, this long haul that if you keep at it and you keep adding content and, and Pinterest right now is really looking for what they call fresh pins and a fresh, you know, the definition of a pin is it's coming basically from a URL and it is a new image, you know, slash title slash description. So if you publish a new pin, they don't want. I think strategically, they don't want people to see the same results year in, year out. They actually want new content. So it's really a great opportunity. They seem to be uh, putting preference on newer content or what we call fresh pins. So I urge every social pro out there, like everything else, if you are going to look at a new social network, you do a keyword search, see what comes up, see what's out there, see what, what you know amount of repins, what have you, and go from there. And I recommend you do the same. And by the way, Pinterest is a very attractive paid platform as well. And when you do a paid promotion, that activity, the repins last forever. So the lifetime of a, of a paid campaign on Pinterest is also longer than what you see in other social networks.
1: There you go, friends. It's like two episodes in one on social pros. You get a whole episode on influencer marketing. You get a mini episode on Pinterest marketing. Uh, you know, we're, we're here to, we're here to give Adam. Two for one, two for one. The age of influence. The age of influence. Oh, there you go. <laughs> somebody out there is going to register that domain name. If you haven't already, this, hey. this uh, industrious social pros community is going to go. I got to cut. Happen. I got to
0: go.
1: I got to, yeah, go I go. got something to do. <laughs> uh, Neil, I'm going to ask you the two questions we've asked you in the past. What one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro?
0: I recommend, and I know what I've given in the past, uh, I would recommend actually creating content about your journey. Uh, We talk about, we obviously talk about influencers and everyone's a content creator, but even in marketing, this notion of sort of brand storytelling and the central role that content plays, especially in B2B companies, that... I want social pros to really become experienced at telling their own stories, whatever they may be, and becoming more of a content creator themselves so that they are going to be able to create better content for whatever company they work at. And hopefully through that content, they're also going to be able to develop relationships and become a little bit better at social media, maybe themselves become a little bit more influential in whatever they want to become more influential in.
1: Yeah, I like that answer a lot. It makes a lot of sense. And and sometimes people are reluctant to talk about uh, their journey, and uh, that's, that's good advice. Neil, if you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be this time?
0: This time it's going to be Elon Musk. I know it's probably a popular answer. I was recently on a podcast that was all about innovation. That really got me thinking: who is a true innovator out there? And I would have said Steve Jobs in the past, obviously, but you know, Elon Musk just—he—he just, damn, he just innovates. Um, And uh, I think we're all big fans of that. I'm just curious what his next innovation is going to be. Um, His approach to SpaceX. I mean, the Tesla, obviously, but there aren't that many people out there. Even, you know, Jay, when I look at social pros, all the tools we have out there, I see very little innovation. I see very little technology that comes about and goes, this is going to completely transform the way you do marketing. Um, But he's obviously transformed the way we think about driving a thing, the way we think about space. And that's an incredible thing.
1: I think his new innovation is going to be uh, Pinterest marketing. (laughs) (laughs) The Age of Pinfluence, brought to you by Elon Musk. Uh, look for uh, it. On he, Booksh- he already got
0: the domain,
2: man. Yeah. Dang.
1: Bookshelves near you. He's a big and fan well, of
2: the show, you know? Yeah. He has a,
1: te- he has a telepathy startup. He, he heard you thinking about the domain name and already registered it.
0: Can't beat him, you know?
1: Neil, thanks so much for being here again. We really appreciate it. It's always great to have you on Social Pros. Friends, don't forget Neil's new book, The Age of Influence Spectacular. I've got 10 copies to give away as well leave a review of the show any place that you can leave a review email me jay at com. let me know about it i'll send you a book neil thanks again we really appreciate it
0: thank you so much jay adam it's been a total honor and a lot of fun too so hope this helps serve your community
1: Absolutely will. On behalf of Salesforce LinkedIn Marketing Solutions and the one, the only Adam Brown from Salesforce, I'm Jay Baer from Convince to Convert. This has been hopefully your favorite podcast in the whole world. This has been Social Pros. We'll be back next week.